0: Welcome to Marketing Tales with Chris Raposo, a podcast created to spotlight and highlight marketers, tell their stories, and share their knowledge with those
1: interested in all things marketing. If you're interested in more than just the cut and dry strategies and tactics and want to learn more about the human side of his guests and how they got to where they are today, then this show is for you
0: if somebody wants to get into interviewing subject matter experts or wants to become a podcast host what is one important lesson that you've learned over the course of your career so far that you can share
1: i think if you're starting from scratch let's say and you don't have any experience doing this to learn how to do this just do it there is like we just said no matter how many books you read about it or how much you listen to other interviewers do their thing, which is a very important thing to do, no matter how much you do that, you still are gonna suck at first. You just are, like with most things. But I guarantee that if you keep with it by episode 10 or 20, you'll listen back to episode one and be like, whoa, I've gotten a lot better at this. Or gee, I used to be not as good at this, and now I'm a lot better because I'm just more comfortable. It's like anything, just the more reps you get, The more comfortable you're going to be, the more confident you're going to be. And that's just going to make all the difference. So much of this is just confidence. So just, you know, no going in. It's going to be a little rough at first, maybe. Don't worry about it. Just do it. Have fun with it. Enjoy it. Ultimately, it's an enjoyable thing to do. To have in-depth conversations with smart and engaging people and shining the spotlight on them. This is fun. As work goes, this is a really fun, engaging and stimulating thing to do. So it's totally natural to feel a little uncomfortable at first, a little nervous. Just keep at it and keep doing it and you will get to a place before you know it where it's just flowing and you're improving every episode.
0: Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Marketing Tales show with Chris Raposo. Today, I have my friend Jeremy Sher, PhD, joining me on the podcast. Jeremy, welcome to the show. Hey,
1: Chris. Thanks for having
0: me. Hey, Jeremy. We we got connected through the Peak community. It's a marketing community and it's how we got in touch with one another. You're really good at podcasting and interviewing people. So I did a little bit of research on you just to figure out, you know, where you came from about your story. And I learned that you have a PhD in English from Indiana University in Bloomingdale, language, literature, letters and Jewish studies. And you are the founder and CEO of Conversa, as well as a podcast host of the B2B content show. And you should tell us a little bit about your journey, how you got to where you are today.
1: Yeah, well, and I'll do my best to give you the short version of that because I, I could go on and on. So, um, yeah. So, as you mentioned, I uh, have a PhD in English literature and Jewish studies. Actually, technically, and um, it's in uh, Bloomington, Indiana, and that's where I live today. That's that's how I came here. And like a lot of grad students, I thought I'd be here for a couple years. 25 years later, I'm still here. And, you know, I got married, had kids, kind of put down some roots. So here I am. And, um, you know, I got into podcasting first as a fan, just love podcasts, love listening to them like millions of other people around the world. But I also have a background as a musician and I would say semi-professional. And I say that only because I have made some money from music. It's not not a steady income or anything, but my claim to fame there is that I wrote uh, and recorded a song that ended up in a Disney movie uh, called Prom. I think it came out in I think it was 2011. It was not a big hit, but you know if you're into Disney, some people might remember it. And it's like actually me singing the song. It's it was a one-off thing, pretty amazing. But anyway, that's kind of an aside. Just to say that I have uh, because I'm into music and writing and recording. I built a a home studio and uh, and it's the same equipment, same process used for recording spoken audio, which is of course what podcasts are. And so I was kind of well positioned to get into that. And I was a freelance writer for many years, which included eventually writing for some uh, uh, public radio programs and first just as a writer, but then that turned into opportunities to be on the air, so to speak and record segments and They we didn't call them podcasts, but it was the same basic idea, you know, recorded recording pre-recorded radio segments, which then we would play and people could download. And so at some point I realized, like, hmm, as podcasts kept getting more and more popular, I'm like, I I can do this, you know? And how I got into doing exactly the business I do today. For five years, I worked in corporate America. I was a copywriter at a medical device company. And while I was there, I learned that the sales teams there, and this is a big company, salespeople all around the world. They were asking for a podcast, an internal podcast, so they could learn from each other about how they sell, you know, overcoming objections, closing deals, things like that. And I had, that had never occurred to me because I had never been in the corporate world or really worked in any kind of organized business at all. And I was, this is, I'm in like my forties at this point, you know? So I kind of, I was like, wow, that's, a great idea, no brainer. And I can do that. So I raised my hand to volunteer to do it, got very excited, thought I'm going to make my mark at this company. And it never happened. Mm -hmm. The company for weird reasons, I never understood, never got behind it. But the idea stuck with me. I thought this is just a no brainer and it's a great use for podcasting. So I started kind of marketing it outside the company, like in my spare time, just to see if there was interest and there was an interest. And it turned out that actually there was more interest in podcasting, doing B2B branded podcasting as a marketing tool, not so much internally. That's what I thought it would be. Not so much internally, more as a marketing tool for communicating with your audience. And I just started doing that, you know, just as a freelancer, picked up a client here or there, um, and it just built and it got to the point where. That was occupying most of my time, even while I was working like at this other job, like I'd show up and there often wasn't much for me to do. And so I would just work on that business. And it got to the point where I was coming close to making as much from that as I was getting paid at my day job, you know? So at a certain point I was just like, okay, am I going to do this or not? You know, is it just going to be a side thing or do I want to build a business from it? And I decided I got to try, got to try it. So I did. I left that corporate job, started what is now Conversa, and we're a B2B podcasting company. And we also have a service I call Interview Engine, where we'll interview you. And by you, that could mean a business owner or a CEO or really any subject matter expert and turn that material that's coming straight from your head, you know, your mind, where the best content is into enough content for an for a couple of weeks or an entire month or an entire quarter, depending how much you need. So that's, that's my story. That's what I do today.
0: And it's pretty amazing. You know, there's a lot of thought leaders, a lot of CEOs out there that have so much knowledge in their head, but they may not have the time to post consistently on LinkedIn, for example, to bring that... Um, thought leadership out that they have inside of them and those target clients they may want to hear about what that thought leader has to say or that ceo inevitably be building trust with those audiences but if they don't have the time somebody like you coming in hopping on a call for 30 minutes to an hour interviewing them and repurposing that episode that's a huge game changer for them and the company as well so kudos to you yeah, that.
1: that's the that's the idea and I think it's arguably better than just shipping it out to like a marketing agency and there are plenty of great marketing agencies but you know to, to have someone else write the content for you it's not really you is it it's somebody else you know kind of trying to be you and what I'm trying to do is be like no no this is really you it literally is you in your own words and image and that's about as good as it can get you know
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, when I did a little bit of research on your company one of the taglines that I found is that you use the art and science of interviewing subject matter experts to capture the unique blend of thoughts and ideas these experts have in their heads and bring them to the forefront, like we just said. yeah. What's the value of interviewing subject matter experts? Just when it comes to interviewing style, let's say you're a marketer out there, right? You do a yeah. lot of secondary research research on Google. Now with JetGPT, you're going to get a lot of, information in a quick digestible way but what is the importance of primary research and the value of interviewing subject matter experts and how do you go about it you know how do you get those unique insights from them
1: yeah so so let me answer that i'll take the first part of the question first and and then go on to the second so the value is a little bit like we were just saying you know and and i think you put it nicely you know the best content that any company has is in the minds of its experts you know its smartest people or the founders you know the people who've just been doing this for years and they've built up what i think you can rightfully call a unique kind of set of information that's in their head and it's not just information right it's not just data it's a mix of everything it's a mix of their experiences and their thoughts and their emotions about it and how they feel about it and the anecdotes they can tell, you know, all that stuff is 100% unique to the individual because no two people are exactly alike, not even identical twins. I have identical twins. I have two boys and they look alike, but they're not the same person, you know? So everyone has their own unique experience. and. I think most marketers would agree, just most people would agree that the best content is content that does not just blend into that sea of sameness, You know, that it is unique and it stands out. Everyone can agree, I think, that, yeah, sure, of course, that's good content. We all want that, but it's hard to get. And I think we would also agree that a lot of content that we see, especially B2B stuff, does kind of blend in. And I think the reason for that is... Because like you said, you're often your first move is, you know, you're a marketer, like you're on a marketing team and you get assigned, write a blog post about this. And, you know, we have a subject matter expert and, you know, you can get some quotes from them. You can interview them and we'll get to the nuances of that in a second. But, you know, one of your first moves is probably going to be, let's Google that, you know, assuming you're not an expert on it. Let me Google that. And you find some articles and blogs and you read them. Okay, fine. That's fine. Uh, But you are, you know, you're reading stuff that's already out there, right? So that's going to influence what you write. Um, Assuming you're not doing original research, right? You're not like sending out a survey to your 500 customers or something, which would be good if you did, by the way. But, you know, let's say you don't have the time to do that. You need this needs to be done next week, you know, and then maybe you go to chat GPT and be like, okay, write me an outline for this or just give me a summary of what I need to know that's all good and well but you are very much dealing then with stuff that's already been published and if you don't have the time or the wherewithal or the skill or whatever what you write is just going to be a summary of what's already out there mm-hmm. i think that happens a lot just based on my own experience of reading like the average blog post where my sense of it as i begin and especially you know as i get through to the end i'm like I've kind of heard this before. This is not blowing me away. It, it's it's okay, but I feel like I've heard this before. I, you know, I've read this same piece in in other variations. and I, and that's because I have in one way or another, you know, yeah the value, I think just on its face, the value of basing what you're writing primarily, and maybe, you know, more than just primarily, like fundamentally on an interview you do, let's say with someone at your company, an expert who has deep expertise on this and has been, you know, thinking about it and writing about it and having discussions about it for years, maybe for decades. Again, for all the reasons I said before, well, well, now you're tapping into new territory. It's not that everything they tell you is going to be brand new that, the, you know, you've never heard before, right? But it's that blend of experiences that they, they have had and it's kind of seen the ideas developing over time and, and the discussions they've had that have sparked new ways of thinking about it. If you know what you're doing when you interview someone and you set them up to give you the kind of material material you're looking for, that's just a goldmine, mine, Right. And especially if you can go the extra mile and maybe interview not just one person, but several, you know, like a reporter would when you're reporting a story, Mm -hmm. then you really have a like a repository of unique, authentic content that if you know what you're doing as a a writer, a content creator, you can then put it together in a way that's going to stand out Mm -hmm. because you're not relying on previously published sources for the most part you're relying on discussions you've had with subject matter experts who have unique a unique point of view on mm-hmm. what they're talking about so that i think is how i think of the the value of doing these kind of interviews and i'll pause there for a second before moving on to the next part just cuz i've been talking for a long time <laughs>
0: Yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I actually used that that approach by when I wrote my most recent white pa- paper on the demographic enrollment cliff and the marketing towards non-traditional students and the importance of that. So I did the secondary research with Google. I did I had to help with the outline with JetGPT. And then I had I, I had about 50 pieces to reference that I that I read. Mm-hmm write my white paper. However, through this podcast, i built relationships with higher ed CMOs that were mm. prominent universities. So I asked them to jump on a call with me and I asked them about how they approach the marketing to non-traditional adult learners with their, with their universities. So they told me stories on how they do it. And they also told me personal stories, how some of their family members were affected <clears throat> by going positively affected by going to university at, an, at a later age. So I was able to put all this into the white paper, as well as some quotes from them, which gave it a lot more weight, right? And then yeah. there were these these higher ed thought leaders. They have a big following and a lot of trust. So once I published the white paper, they actually were excited to share the white paper that I wrote, that they were quoted mm-hmm. in, with their network, giving it even more weight. Right. And support. And it's basically, um, what do you call it? Earn media in a way Mm -hmm. in that regard. Um, So I really think the same as you just said, You, you want to have the subject matter experts in there. Otherwise, it's like you're in an echo chamber where you feel like, oh, I've read this before. I've seen this before. Why did I waste my time on this?
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, again, the whole, uh, we're, we're assuming that, that you, the writer, are not a subject matter expert with your own deep experience in this. If you were, then you could react to what you're reading that's already out there, right? And kind of enter into dialogue with it rather than just when you're not an expert, it's more like, okay, I just need to get the gist of what the questions are. You know, like, what is this? topic and why does it matter? But you don't necessarily have anything original to contribute to it because you just don't have the depth of knowledge or experience. But when you do include subject matter experts, right, you can add, and I like how you put it, you know, you get the the stories, the anecdotes that can add texture and color and kind of ground what might be a little more theoretical in real life experience, and not just anybody's experience, but the experience of, you know, experts, people who really know what they're talking about. And I, I think it also makes more valuable the kind of secondary research you're doing with other articles you're reading, because you can ask them about it. You can say, I read a piece by so-and-so, and they say, they claim this. What do you think about that? And then you're you're furthering the dialogue, right? And so it's it's just adding more value. And, and now I think this is kind of going to the second part of your question, you know, like how, what, what is it, how does it work to interview a subject matter expert? Um, so let's talk about that, if that's okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So in your experience, how do you balance the art of conversational interviewing with the science of structured questioning? You know, notice this saying, mm-hmm. there are no stupid questions, just stupid answers, however, there are some questions that just bring out more authentic answers uh, yeah. when you're to somebody. How do you go about that?
1: Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm, you know, right. That's a common saying. There are no such no such thing as a stupid question. That's wrong. There are such things as stupid questions. Or maybe if in put in a slightly nicer way, there are irrelevant questions. There are questions that are basic to the point that you should already know the answer because you don't want to waste people's time and i'll just i'll give a quick anecdote here of my own so many years ago i was living in israel and i was an intern at a magazine called the jerusalem jerusalem report and it's english english language magazine and i pitched a story on there was like a, a new town being developed near the airport and a very famous architect who was based in jerusalem was in charge of it. So I said, hey, I'm, I want to do a story about this. They said, okay, sure. So I reached out and I got an appointment with this architect. Now, this was in the early, early days of the internet. So it was a lot harder just to look up information. But that's just an excuse. I went into this interview with a handful of questions and I sat down with the guy. And the first question I asked him was, So are you a Sabra, meaning a native Israeli? Like, were you born here or did you come here from somewhere else? Which, first of all, why am I even asking that question? Like, how is it relevant to what we're actually talking about? And number two, what he said to me was he stared at me across his desk in a not friendly way. And he said, you should already know that. You're wasting my time. Get out of my office. Come back when you've done your research. And I, I was stunned. I mean, I, I had not, did not have much experience in this, and it hit me like a stomach, like a gut punch. And I immediately was like, "Holy shit, he's right. I look really dumb, don't I?" And I slunk out of there, and I never came back. I didn't even do the. St- I was like, I can't talk to this guy again. I'm too embarrassed, you know. But that's something that stayed with me all these years later. And the obvious lesson there is. When you're interviewing someone, there's kind of like a power dynamic at play, you know? And especially if you're, let's say, a copywriter and you've been assigned, write this thing and to do it, talk to subject matter experts one, two, and three. You know, the the first step, of course, is reaching out and and getting them to agree to do an interview with you, you know? And, And there's no guarantee that they will because these are, by dint of being a subject matter expert, you are busy. And you probably are have a higher position of more authority and power than you know than you, the writer. Chances are, and at that stage of things, the the power rests pretty much completely with the person that you're asking to interview. You're essentially asking a favor, right? You're asking for their time, mm-hmm. and they have the power to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. So, even in that introductory email, like you need to really be persuasive and give them a reason to say yes to you, but let's say, okay, fine. Like you're all part of the same company and ideally you at least know this person a little bit, or you've made some effort to have some relationship with them and definitely, And and again, just table stakes. You've done a little research on them. Who are they? What's their position? You know, what are they an expert on beyond the very basics that you can assume, given the topic that you're writing about, you know, Look at their LinkedIn at the very least, right? But as soon as they say yes, then the power dynamic shifts. And now you are in charge and they are relying on you to make this a worthwhile experience and not waste their time. They're depending on you because they may not, they're an expert in whatever they're an expert on, but they are probably not an expert in giving interviews on it. You know, maybe they've had some of that experience. Maybe they haven't. A lot of people haven't, you know, so they're agreeing and then just waiting for you to make it happen. But people are not stupid. You know, they can tell just like the guy I tried to interview, they know if their time is being wasted. So if you show up and you're asking super basic questions, like, so what's your title? It's like, well, you know, it's on like, you should know that. First of all, we work in the same company, you know? And so you don't want to be in a position to ask those questions, right? You don't want to waste people's time. You want to get right to the point, And you want to have questions ready to go. But see, I think a lot of people assume that interviewing is a very simple thing. And in some ways it kind of is, you know, it doesn't have to be overly complicated. It's not complicated, right? It is relatively simple. We all know what it entails. You have some stuff you want to know and you ask questions to get the people, the person talking about it and you record their answers. And that's pretty much it, right? On the surface, that is pretty much it. But just like most things, or you could say just like just about anything uh, there are there there it's an art and a science there are nuances to it you know and it starts with just what which questions are you going to ask and how are you going to ask them and what are you going for why are you asking these questions in the first place beyond the fact that you've you're forced to do it right you've been assigned to do it right but so part of the subtlety and this is something i learned over many years of of doing this is it's very important especially like in a marketing context where it's you're not a newspaper reporter right you're not just following the facts wherever they may lead you know and just you just want to hear people's stories without any agenda you have an agenda you're creating a very particular marketing piece for a very particular audience for a very particular purpose and so you have let's say 30 minutes with this subject matter expert don't waste it you need to go into it knowing what you need from them Mm. let them know beforehand so you need to do preparation first and that will very much involve uh at least in my experience do a little prep with them maybe that's just by email but that's fine let them know what the purpose of your of why you want to interview them, number one. Well, oh, no, no, I'm trying to. I'm I need to create this marketing piece. This is the audience that it's for. Here's the role that you're playing. Here's who else I'll be interviewing. Here are the other sources I'm dealing with. So they have a very robust understanding of what your goal is. When you sit down with them and start asking questions, they can start preparing mentally before that happens to say, "Oh, okay," because chances are the topics is going to be something they could talk about for hours and approach from any different number of angles, right? You don't want to go in just hoping that you get the material you need for your particular project. You need to go in armed with the just the right questions and the way to ask them so you guarantee that you get what you need. And then one and as the interview is going on, if you can sense, if you sense like, well, actually, this isn't going how I thought, I'm not getting what I need. You need to be able in real time to pivot, maybe recalibrate some of your questions that aren't on your list Mm -hmm. and be able to do that in real time as the person's talking and as you're keeping track of all the other questions and as the clock is ticking down and you only have 15 minutes left, you know. The worst thing that can happen is, and this has happened to me, you know, early on when I did this stuff, I walk out of there and I'm like, what just happened? I don't think I got what I need, or I'm not even sure what I got. And I listen back or look back and I'm like, oh shit, this isn't, this isn't good enough really. And you, you know, unless you really have a good relationship with the person, it's Mm -hmm. not a good look to get back in touch and be like, can we do that again? You know, you you, that signals that you don't know what you're doing and that you wasted the person's time, you know? So the way that you do guarantee that you get what you need is by, th- through some of the messages I've already described, but, you know, not just do some research, but think carefully about what story am I trying to tell? and what role is this particular source, this expert, going to play in the story that I'm trying to tell? What do I, in other words, what do I need from them? If you have the time, I would recommend even plot out the the piece that you're writing. Plot it out, at least an outline, so you can have some sense of, okay, it's in this section of what I'm writing. Get as granular as possible, you know? And now just to clarify, it's not that you go into the interview and you tell the person, I want you to say this. Right. No, because that's uh, like, why even do the interview? You could just write it and then send it to them and be like, is it okay if I, I quote you saying this, you know, and, and that is what some people do. Some, you know, by the way, that is one method. I I don't love that because really what you want is you want that combination of getting what you need, but the actual thing that you get is still spontaneous. It's still that original piece of content that only that one person could give you in that particular way. But you need to give them the parameters so they're not just all over the place. And that you guarantee you get a variety of things that you can use the puzzle pieces to put together that are all of a very high level, but if you don't give the subject matter those parameters, like give them kind of the sandbox in which to play, then they'll they very well might just go all over the place and talk about what they're interested in, which may or may not be of use to you. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Absolutely.
0: There's so much in this. This is such a rich episode already, and I thank you for sharing all those insights. That's why I didn't want to jump in and interrupt because it was so yeah, so so important for the audience to understand how to go about it, right? And it maybe things think of a lot of things. Like right? First of all, you're not a reporter, you're a marketer. So that just shows you the importance of networking because you're mm-hmm. actually going to ask a favor of someone you may not know who this is going to be in your marketing career and when it's going to be. So you want to, what I did in the past, I, the last year I've been in higher ed marketing, of build authentic relationships with these higher ed thought leaders, not wanting anything from them, just engaging with them on LinkedIn, commenting on their posts, and just sharing something, some either an article or videos or webinars that I thought that would help them along their way. And when it was my time to ask them for a favor to get either a quote or get on my podcast, they were willing to do so. And then also the other thing that you said – the power dynamic switches when i ask them they have the power until they say yes but then when they say yes you're as the host or as the interviewer you have the power yeah there's a lot of weight to it if you really care about the craft of storytelling right because now it's your responsibility to make them look good you're not a reporter to ask Got your questions yeah and get some dirt on them you, they trusted you. It's your responsibility to make them look good, just like you and me on this podcast. Now, you're taking the time to come on my podcast. You could have done other stuff. Now, I owe you to produce a good um podcast as well as a good recap message that I put on LinkedIn to tag you so your followers will watch the episode and then see you even more yeah. subject matter expert, right? So, that's my responsibility now. And then the other thing you mentioned during the interview process, you have your outline of questions, but you need to be comfortable enough to pivot. So when you said what you just said the last five minutes, when you talked, you said so many rich things that you address some of the questions that I already had outlined. So you, you don't have to stick to number four, five, six. You jump the questions, whatever feels yeah. most natural, right? Because if I pivot from left to right, from right to left, it doesn't make it a... A, a, a good conversation it has to sound authentic it has to sound natural yeah. and if i'm just sticking on my agenda number five number six number seven and ever like Where, where's he going did he not even listen to what this person just said so you right. want to be comfortable with yourself and active listening and then you you, you structure your messages and you're questioning and you may ask questions that um that are not even on your list if they come up
1: Yes that that's exactly right and it goes back to kind of what I was saying that it's it's easy to assume well I just write some questions and I'm ready to go and I just sort of go down the list and ask them you know in the most obvious way if as I just did apparently if I've already addressed some of the things that you were going to ask in questions 6 7 and 8 then it's super weird if you ask them anyway without any acknowledgement that I've already said it, you know, then it's just like, you're sending a signal to me that like, well, wait, what dude, like, I just talked about that. What's going on here, you know, but that's relatively easy to avoid if you're just paying attention, but I'll say on that score, paying attention is a lot harder than it may, may seem right. Because as an interviewer, and I think this goes for any kind of interviewer, whether you're a, a journalist or a marketer or whatever, you're, you need to be listening on multiple levels at the same time. Mm-hmm. You're keeping track of a lot of different things. You're keeping track of the time because you've set, you know, this, we have an hour to do this and people are busy, you know, don't assume you can just go for however long. So you need to fit it all in. You need to keep one eye on the, the time. Mm-hmm. You need to be obviously listening on the surface level, just what is the person saying and just comprehend it, right? You need to be listening for opportunities for follow up questions, right? That are not on your list of questions. And you need to remember those. And, you know, maybe you can jot it down, but you need to be listening for, like, oh, okay, wait, I'm going to want to dig a bit deeper on that thing. And even if the person keeps on going, it may be a few minutes until you, you're able to get there. Mm-hmm. Um, you need to be listening for things that are not clear, that you know, knowing your audience, you're like, ah, okay, they used an acronym there. Or they're talking about something that's a little technical and we're going to need a clarification on that. You know, if you don't, if especially if you don't understand it, your audience will not understand it. But even if you do, because you've been researching it, You know, is this something we need to clarify or not? Uh, You need to be listening again, like I said before, for am I getting what I need for my ultimate end goal? And that can get tricky because it's not always immediately obvious, right? You might be interviewing someone and they start going off on a bit of a tangent that off the track that you had sort of agreed with them to talk about. And you have to be able to judge in real time as this is happening, okay, are we going off the rails here in a way that I need to immediately reorient it because we're wasting time and this is totally irrelevant? Or do I sense that maybe this is leading somewhere that I didn't think of before, but it's, it's rich and we're now mining an unexpectedly rich vein. Let me let this play out a little bit and kind of see where it goes. It's not always clear, and a lot of that comes with experience, but you have to be doing all this as you're listening to the person talking and visually maintaining intense concentration on them and demonstrating to them that you're listening and comprehending and that you're interested, right? Because a lot of the value of this kind of interview, you're not just getting data or information, right? the if you've ever been interviewed you know that a lot of how it's going to go depends on the the visual cues you're getting from the person you know that that's asking you the question so it's not just the questions it's how you're you know nodding your head demonstrating that you get it and oh this is good keep going you know because that's going to inject me with more energy mm-hmm. i'm like oh cool this is landing you know i'm i'm doing good and i want to keep going and i'm excited about this It's easy to get distracted. It is easy to get distracted. I still get distracted sometimes. It can be a challenge, you know. You're trying to keep all these things in mind. And even just for a few seconds, if you get a little distracted, you you might pop back and be like, oh shit. Yeah. I don't know what the person just said. I'm not, I wasn't exactly listening, despite my best efforts. And Now we're talking about, he's talking about a thing and like, wait, what, what, but you can't admit, you know, you have to very quickly reorient yourself and get back on track. Yeah. That happens to me sometimes too. It's rare at this point, but still I'm susceptible to it. And I've been doing this for like 20 years.
0: Yeah. People notice, they see that look of glazed look over your eyes. They're like, "Oh, I lost him. He's gone. He's not listening anymore. And then you don't feel motivated to give your best anymore during that interview um yeah so that happened to me a, a couple of times especially at the beginning and another thing that i learned so when somebody's in that flow state where they really share rich information i feel one of the worst things one can do is interrupt and try mm. to put their agenda in there real quick when they heard something right like if you say if you talk five minutes and there's something in there that I think oh this is amazing I want to say something about that yeah. instead of cutting in and interrupting the flow you let them go 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 and then you go back to that point that you wanted to address instead of cutting in is this the worst thing when I listen to a podcast and yeah. it constantly interrupts or says yup, yep yeah. mm-hmm, exactly like I did that mistake at the beginning but then it's like it's the listener even you're like oh my gosh What was this? There's no flow. There's an interruption in the flow. So you got to really be disciplined in a way as a host, not to want to just interject.
1: Yes, that's a really good point. And again, it can get complicated because it's not black and white. Mm -hmm. It's not as though as the host never interject. No, sometimes you need to. And sometimes it's good strategy, but only sometimes sometimes. And I think it takes a lot of experience to know exactly when, for instance, here, here's an example of when it might actually make sense to interrupt and interject, right? Which is hard because we're all taught to be polite and like, don't interrupt people. But as an interviewer, again, you're in charge. It's your interview, right? The, and, and the host is is depending on you to set the guidelines and to guide them down the path. So- in rare instances i think let's say the 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 guest is you know talking going on you might hear something and it could be an instinct or you just know that you're like wait and 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 i've done this you say wait hold on a second i want to stop you right there you just said something that's very important and i want to dig into it right now before we lose it mm-hmm. you know and because it connects to something you said before and and that's okay you don't want to be doing that constantly which gets extremely annoying and, and breaks up the flow of the conversation. But sometimes, and again, you have to be listening for these opportunities. Sometimes it's the right thing to do strategically. And overall, it will make better content, right? Yeah. Another kind of a related challenge here is, oh, well, actually, one more you know, reason why you might need to interrupt is, like I said before, sometimes if someone's going off on a tangent, and you can conclude like this is not useful you need to find a way to just stop it and again it can it's often you'd wait for a pause you know someone to take a breath or something and jump in and say uh, uh, can i jump in here for a second i want to ask you a, a related question another question and subtly take it back you know you you don't have to and certainly don't want to be like you've just gone off on a stupid tangent i'm reorienting you you know you obviously never want to be rude or like super aggressive for obvious reasons but again you're in charge and you need to control things enough so that you get what you need and just one more point that you, you said before, you know, how much should the host be part, an active part of the discussion, right? It really depends. I I think a really good interview, and, and just like we've done in this interview, you're not just firing questions at me one after the next, and I'm answering. You're You're doing a very good job of kind of waiting until I've said my long-winded piece, and then you know, offering a little feedback or like, well, yeah, that's a good point. And I've had that experience that turns it into a discussion, which is good. That's what we want. But the host has to be very subtle about it because one thing that I have gotten better at is calibrating that. I used to, as a host, go on and on, both in the questions I was asking, which would be too long and mm-hmm. then after without interrupting i'd let you know the ho- the guest say their piece and then i would lend my thoughts and it's easy to get carried away especially if you're genuinely interested you know in the flow to the discussion with the best of intentions but i'd listen back to some episodes and be like oh my god jeremy shut up you are this is not about you and you're going on and fucking on like yeah. dude say a few things And then move on and put the spotlight on the guest. Like it's, I was very susceptible to that and it really took. And by the way, another good bit of advice, I think, listen to the interviews that you do. It's not always pretty. It can be a little painful sometimes because for me, at least still to this day, I'll listen to interviews I do. And what I mostly hear is all the things I could do better. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I'm being long-winded there. Mm. (laughs) That out. I'm stumbling over my words there. That that question was garbled and didn't make any sense, you know. Or it's it can be a little painful, but absolutely necessary. That is the single best way to get better at interviewing people is listen to yourself interviewing people.
0: Yeah, I, I um I edit all my ep- episodes myself, so I, mm-hmm. I always listen to it a couple of times, you know. So that's why. Yeah. I've learned a lot by just listening to it. I'm like, I sound monotone. I keep rambling. My question, I obviously didn't listen to what the person just said, that sort of stuff, you know, and it just get better over time. Yeah. But there's one thing you said earlier where you said it is okay to interject sometimes because after all, it's your podcast. And it reminded me of a post, our mutual connection, Aaron Vogelander once said, Uh linkedin he said ultimately it's your podcast your stage right so as we close the episode uh jeremy you obviously have a lot of experience in interviewing you were a reporter at one point if somebody wants to get into interviewing subject matter experts or wants to become a podcast host what is one important lesson that you've learned over the course of your career so far that you can
1: share let me think about that for a second because i've learned a lot of things but i'll i'll try to kind of you know drill down into just like one if i just had one chance to sh- you know share some advice i think if you're starting from scratch let's say and you don't have any experience doing this
0: mm-hmm.
1: a couple of related things that i think ultimately constitute one thing to learn how to do this just do it. There is like we just said, no matter how many books you read about it or how much you listen to other interviewers do their thing, which is a very important thing to do. Absolutely listen to as many you know interview style podcasts as you can and listen in a particular way. Really study the the technique of the host. How, how do they do what they do? They A really good host makes it seem entirely natural and easy, but they've practiced it. They have a method. It's not just spontaneously happening in the moment. It sounds like it is, but it's really not. Listen to how they introduce themselves, how they introduce the show, how they introduce the topic, how they transition from one thing to the next, how they do all the things we've been talking about, and listen to multiple episodes. And every host is a little different. They all have their own style and kind of pick and choose like, Ooh, I really like how Joe Rogan does that. You know, Joe Rogan's a one of one. He has a very particular style. It's not going to work for everybody. Right. But then maybe listen to Ira Glass and he has his, you know, the OG, like he has his own very particular style and everyone in between people that are not super famous like that. You know, you can really learn if you study and listen with with the intent of learning in that particular way. So that's one thing. But then at the end of the day, no matter how much you do that, you still are going to suck at first. You just are like with most things. And by suck, I mean, that doesn't even necessarily mean that you'll be really, really, really bad. You might be decent or even pretty good. You might just have like a bit of a talent for it, but I guarantee that if you keep with it by episode 10 or 20, You'll listen back to episode one and be like, whoa, I've gotten a lot better at this. Or, gee, I used to be not as good at this, and now I'm a lot better because I'm just more comfortable. It's like anything. Just the more reps you get, the more comfortable you're going to be, the more confident you're going to be, and that's just going to make all the difference. So much of this is just confidence. And you know I I know that from experience like I used to get very nervous before interviewing people because I'm like I you know what if I run out of what if the conversation just hits a dead end you know or the person is difficult like what am I or I don't know this topic like who am I to interview like I used to do a lot of science writing interviewing scientists I'm like what the interviewing like a nuclear physicist like how am I gonna possibly you know but then just the more I d- did it, I got more confident and and just better at handling people, you know, making the guest feel comfortable and finding natural organic ways to turn it into a discussion and a real conversation and not just a transaction. So just, you know, no going in, it's going to be a little rough at first, maybe. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Just do it, have fun with it, and enjoy it. Ultimately, it's an enjoyable thing to do, to have in-depth conversations with smart and engaging people and shining the spotlight on them. This is fun. As work goes, this is a really fun, engaging, and stimulating thing to do. So it's totally natural to feel a little uncomfortable at first, a little nervous. Just keep at it and keep doing it, and you will get to a place before you know it where it's just flowing and you're improving every episode.
0: Yeah, I always uh, encourage people like I did when I first started out with this. I I just interviewed my friends (laughs) that I had Mm -hmm. that were in marketing because I felt comfortable. They were on my side anyways. They were cheering for me. So I was able to fail a little bit, make a couple of mistakes and learn from that. And when the time came where I started interviewing CMOs, I was more comfortable, which made them more comfortable when they knew, oh, this guy is calm and he makes me calm you know this they they feed off your energy people if you're disengaged or if you're nervous they get they get a little nervous sometimes um so just know start with the ones that are safe if you want to start out with podcasting or interviewing and then work your way up
1: yeah i that you're you're 100% right the the guests will pick up on your energy for better or for worse and also i think understand that again the the moment someone agrees to sit down with you agrees to an interview they're agreeing because they want to do it mm-hmm. most people want to do this it's it's flattering to be asked you know and to be featured as an expert yeah. uh and so you have a lot going for you you know you're it's not a contra, it's not a um adversarial situation unless you make it so you know uh, it's You have every opportunity to sit down with someone who's very eager to perform and give you what you want. And you just need to, you know, build up the confidence and project that and they'll pick up on it. And because when you think about it, I mean, having a conversation with someone is the most natural thing in the world. We all do it all day long. Human beings have been doing this forever, literally since human beings came into existence. You know, it's the oldest form of communication just talking with someone to just, it's a very natural thing to do. Don't overcomplicate it.
0: Exactly. So as we close the episode, Jeremy, how can people get in touch with you to learn more about you or even partner with you?
1: Yeah. So I'm on LinkedIn all day, every day. So hit me up there. I don't think there's another Jeremy Shear on there. There's an, There are other Jeremys, maybe even another Shear, but I don't think any other Jeremy Shear. So hit me up there. You can email me if you like, jeremy at conversa.com, conversa with two N's. Um, always happy to chat, love jumping on calls with people just to chat, uh, love working with people, partnering with people, open to all that good stuff. So I'd love to hear from people.
0: Awesome. Well, Jeremy, I really thank you for this rich episode and for your time, my friend. It was amazing. And I'm I'm a fan and I'm going to listen to it again. When we're...
1: <laughs> Thanks, Jeremy. Thank- Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it.
0: All right. Take care.